Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. I have a question to ask you all this morning, and that is, are you pressing on or are you pressing in? Are you pressing on or are you pressing in? And that's the question that God has been asking me for the last two weeks, just inside my heart, over and over. Kathleen, are you pressing on or are you pressing in? And I keep saying back to him, what are you talking about? You know, sometimes you just get this inkling or this um, feeling or this direction or this question or a certain word or you keep thinking about something. Many times that's God talking to you. And I kept thinking, I don't know what that means. The only thing that I knew at first, in the very beginning of hearing that, is that I do press on. And, and I persevere. I have a personality that perseveres. I have a personality that won't let go. I have a personality that doesn't quit. And that's a good thing. I mean, uh, the epistles especially talk about persevering in Christ and, and um, enduring and running the race. Paul talks a lot about that we should persevere in faith, that our faith would grow, that we might have that that we need in order to obtain the promises of God. So persevering is good and pressing on is good. But God kept saying, are you pressing in? And so finally when I had time to really get with God and, and slow down and say, what, what does that mean? He reminded me of a Bible story about one woman who pressed in and it changed her life. Miraculously, the power of God, because of her pressing in, changed her life. And I'm going to read you that story in two different Bible versions. Not Bible versions, actually. I'm going to read it both out of the NIV. But I want to read it. It's in Matthew, it's in Luke, and it's in Mark. But I want to read it out of Luke and also in Matthew. Because sometimes, just from these different writers, these different disciples that are that are retelling what they saw, we see different things. And I know that what God is telling me and telling you here is we have to press in. Not just press on, but press in. In Luke 8, 42, or 42, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and had spent all that she had, but no one could heal her. And she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, all the people are crowding and pressing against you. And yet you ask, who touched me? Once again, I love Peter because he's the one person that answers God's questions, right or wrong. He steps out of the boat, right or wrong, you know. And he's right there to go, Master, Everyone is touching you, um, and you're asking who touched you. Everyone's brushing against you. Everyone's pushing behind you, and you're asking who touched you. But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I know that power has gone out of me. And the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, 
daughter, your faith has healed you and made you whole. Go in peace. In Mark 5:24, it says a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus, and a woman was there who had been subject for bleeding to bleeding for 12 years, and she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. You know anybody like that? And had spent all that she had, and yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, and she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Mark 5.31 says, You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole story. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Who touched me? You think about that. There's a whole crowd of people following Jesus. They want to see what he's going to do. They've heard about him. And they're pressing against him. The King James Version says that they're throttling him. That's almost a violent word for pressing against someone. That's almost like when you hear about these concerts where people just go nuts and they start to just roll over people and run over people. That's that word just throttling and pushing in. So the whole crowd is pushing against Jesus. And shoulders are brushing against shoulders. And I'm sure the disciples are around Jesus almost like trying to protect him as people want to see, is this the Son of God? And yet one woman down on her knees, can you see her? Reaches out and touches the hem of his cloak and Jesus stops everything and says, Who touched me? And that's why Peter and the disciples said, Well, God, um, Master, um, everyone's touching you, you know? Probably one of them even had him by his arm. Probably one had their arms around him. They were in front of him and behind him. Everyone was touching him. And they said, And you ask who's touching me? And Jesus said, Yes. I know someone touched me. How did he know? What was the difference? See, because power went out of him. Power went out of Jesus. That word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. So we have God's miracle working power, which is the definition of that word dunamis in the Greek. Going out of Jesus and into that woman because she touched him. But the whole crowd was touching him. And power was not going out of him to them. What was the difference? The difference is that the crowd was pressing on to follow Jesus and to see what he would do. Many probably believed that he was the Son of God. And they're pressing on to follow him. But she was pressing in. She was pressing in. 
And when she pressed in to touch the Son of God, power went out of him and into her. And he said, who touched me? You know, all of these stories are in the Bible not so we can sit around and be bored in Sunday school class, but so that it can change our lives. And Jesus says in his word that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means that I can follow the crowd. I can follow Jesus. I can want to see what he's going to do. And I can press on, press on in my Christian walk and never, ever experience a touch from God doesn't mean I'm not going to heaven. But I may not be receiving the power from God that I need in my life. What was the difference between the woman and the crowd? The crowd pressed on to follow Jesus to see what he would do. And the woman, she pressed in. She pressed in to touch him. That word touch in the Greek means to fasten oneself to, to adhere to, to cling to. She literally reached out to touch the cloak of Jesus' garment. And her life was changed forever. I think of so many people who follow Jesus or follow the crowd following Jesus. And they believe he's the Son of God. And they want to know what he's going to do. And they're pressing on and persevering and doing the best they can. But your life will only be changed when you press in yourself to touch Jesus. And that's when I believe that God in heaven says, Whoa, power just went out of me to that one. Why? Because they pressed in. Were they better than the ones pressing on? No, mm -mm. they just pressed in to touch me. I want us to look at this woman. Who was she? You know, lots of times when I read about these people in the Bible and I look at all the things that, that God has done in their life, and then people even in our modern times, and you hear about someone receiving a miracle or being healed or something miraculous happening to them. And I've had so many miracles in my life, and I know you all have had miracles in your life as well, and you may be sitting there thinking, well, not really. Do you have a child? That's a miracle. Does anyone love you? On the face of this earth, that's a miracle. Are you loved by anybody? That's a miracle, yes. If you're even here today, that's probably a miracle. And for some of us with the testimonies that we have, that is a miracle. And that's the truth. And I'm just not going to go any further with that because I'm married to one. And sometimes I'm like, Lacey, it's just a miracle that you're alive. You are a miracle! God is so good. He is so merciful. He is not through with you. So who is this woman? You know, is she getting a miracle from God because she's just such a good woman and she's important? Who does Jesus stop the crowd for? Have you ever wondered that? Who does God stop the crowd for? Let me tell you about her. Let's just read back in, in Luke 8:43 and Mark 5:26. It describes who she is. It says, And a woman was there in the crowd who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and had spent all that she had, but no one could heal her. 
And in Mark 5.26, the word says, And she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And instead of getting better, she grew worse. Who was she? She was ashamed. I can tell you that. Because Levitical law declared at that time that if you had a, a issue with blood, you were unclean during that time. In other words, even during a regular female menstrual cycle, you were considered unclean. For her to even be around men was against the law at that time. But to be breeding for 12 years? What shame! She was a pariah. She was ashamed. So for whatever reason, I know that that would be true in her life. Number two, she was weary. Can you imagine bleeding for 12 years? We know now that that would not be too uh, great for you physically, but just weary of the same problem, the same situation, weary. I think she was probably broke because the Bible says she was. It says she spent all that she had. Ashamed, weary, and broke. Disappointed. The Word of God said that she suffered under the care of many physicians. In other words, she tried. She tried somebody, and it didn't work. So she tried someone else, and it didn't work. So she tried something else, and it didn't work. She was disappointed. And then lastly, she was a nobody. What's her name? I don't know her name. We know her, those of us who study the Bible very much, as the woman with the issue of blood. And I've thought about that. That's really not a correct way of referring to her because Jesus healed her. She should be called the woman who was healed of the issue of blood. But she was a nobody. So here she is, ashamed, weary, broke, disappointed, and a nobody. And Jesus does one thing, first of all. He calls her a somebody. He calls her a somebody. In Luke 8:46, Jesus said, Somebody touched me. He didn't just go, Whoa, power went out of me. He said, Somebody touched me. And I think about that. I think no matter how small you feel, even if you're sitting in your seat right now, if you reach out in your heart and touch Jesus, He says, Somebody touched me. Power went out of me. You can do that at any time. He calls her a somebody. In Mark 5, verse 32, it says that Jesus stops the crowd to talk to her. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine God stopping the world to talk to you? Or stopping everything He's doing to talk to you? I mean, that, that is what He does, though. When he stops to talk to you, when you reach out to touch God. Although God's an incredible multitasker and he doesn't really have to stop everything else he's doing. It's one of his female traits. (laughs) Jesus calls her daughter. This is so significant. You know, I know... I know this may be a Western culture thing, and that's okay, because that's who I'm talking to right now. 
But Jesus calls her daughter, and you don't just call anybody daughter. Although you might call somebody son. I had a little boy, and um, I don't know how old he was, but it was an HEB a couple of weeks ago, and he just about ran into me, um, and he was old enough to say, oh, I'm so sorry. He went around a corner and pretty much just about ran into me, and I swerved around him, and Um, he just gave me a really kind of cocky look. And so I said, whoa, excuse me, son. And he goes, I'm not your son. And I thought, you know, the only reason I called you son is so that I wouldn't call you anything else. But we do that, like, whoa, come here, son, or excuse me, son, or you'll see a football coach. Hey, son, come here. In our Western culture, we call people son. You don't hardly ever call someone daughter. Hello, daughter. Doesn't fit, does it? And I thought about that and I thought, why? You know, it's so significant to call someone daughter. And I believe in my heart that one reason is because daughter has a a definition that insinuates a protectiveness, a provision towards that person. This is my daughter. Daughter in the Greek is the word thugater. A daughter of God, it means acceptable to God. It means rejoicing in God's special care and protection. And in Luke 8.48, Jesus said to the woman, Daughter, your faith has healed you and made you whole. Go in peace. And in Mark 5.34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, what I like about Jesus is he heals us on the outside, but he also heals us on the inside. And I believe with all of my heart that she not only needed healing from the issue of blood and from her shame and from her weariness and from her brokenness and from her disappointment and from her feeling like a nobody, but she needed someone to call her daughter. She needed to know that God was going to provide for her like a father would for his daughter. That God was going to protect her like a father would for his daughter. I wanted to look a little bit at something else that's so significant at this story before I talk about pressing in in faith. And that is, what is this dunamis power that came out of Jesus? It made him recognize just the extreme power that that flowed out of him into this woman. It made him recognize that someone had touched him. And it brought total healing, body, soul, and spirit to this woman. See, he said, go, daughter. You have been made whole. He didn't say, hey, has the blood stopped? Good. Okay. Scoot on. Sometimes I'll go to God with just this thing this physical thing or this relational thing. And I'm like, God, if you'll just heal that. And he's like, you know what? Actually, I just want you to be whole. Every part of you, body, soul, spirit, relationally, financially. Why? Because you're my son or you're my daughter. I want to take care of you. In every way. I mean, think about the heart of a father. A really good father doesn't just say, hey, you know what? Do the kids have uh, food and clothing? Good, okay. 
He doesn't just want to provide. He wants to bless. He wants to help. He wants to guide. He wants to direct. He wants to love. The power that came out of Jesus, this dynamite power. I wanted to look at three scriptures. Just When you, when you look at these words like dynamite power, I like to look at other scriptures where that exact same Greek word is used so that we'll know what kind of power it is that we're talking about. And that word, dunamis power, is used all over the New Testament. But in three scriptures, it really amplifies to me what went out of Jesus into that woman. And it was the Holy Spirit. If you look in uh, Luke one thirty-five, it says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power, the dunamis of the Most High, will overshadow you. And so the Holy One will be born and he will be called the Son of God. What went out of God into Mary to create Jesus, the Holy Spirit, dunamis power? To the disciples in Act 1-8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then to us in Matthew 6-13, it says that we are to pray, Jesus says, to thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Do you know that every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're supposed to be intending in your heart to be praying that God's Holy Spirit power would come upon you and the whole earth for His kingdom to come, for His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Power. What encourages me with this story is that even through shame, even through weariness, even through brokenness, even through being disappointed, whatever you are experiencing in your life, maybe you've been under the care of many physicians that have not gotten better but only grown worse. Maybe you've just been disappointed in relationships or Maybe there's something in you that has gone on for 12 years or longer. The woman with the issue of blood had been bleeding for 12 years. And to me, even that small line tells me she was just drained. What's encouraging is that she, as a nobody, could press in and touch Jesus and that that dunamis, Holy Spirit power came out of him into her and made her whole. And so I have to say, what is it that she did? If God puts stories in the Bible like that, they're not just to entertain us or for us to know them so that when later we hear them in a sermon and and we've highlighted them at a previous time, the people around us can know that we're scriptural and holy because they can look over and see that it's been highlighted in our Bible. I've laughed about that before with you on how often we're so excited when we are someplace where we're supposed to bring our Bible like right now. And um, someone says, we'll turn to this chapter and we're so excited when we know where it is. And then when someone says, but turn to Malachi or Micah or Zaphaniah, and we like have no idea where it is, we just sort of go as quickly as we can to wherever it is in the Bible, and then we open it to wherever it, we have no idea where it is. It's kind of embarrassing, though, to still be thumbing through the Bible when everyone else is finished. 
You all know I've told you that I really feel like it's like calf roping. Because as Christians, it's like this hyper thing. Like someone says, turn to Zephaniah 3.17. And it's like, everyone gets out their Bible and it's like, just like calf roping. And then it's almost like everyone goes, hey. And it's like, the prize will go to that one over there. It's like, what, what are we doing, you know? And then if you don't know what it is, you just open it anywhere and then if someone looks at the page and you're embarrassed that you've turned to John 1.18 when you're supposed to be in Zephaniah 3.17, you just say something like this, I'm cross-referencing. I want to know what this woman did. I don't think that half the people in the Bible are some great Bible scholars. They didn't even have a Bible. They had the law. Paul was a scholar, but he said, you know what? That's all rubbish compared to the cross of Jesus. It's not what you know, it's what you do. So what did this woman do? The key was pressing in. Not pressing on like the crowd just to see what Jesus would do, just to believe in Him. The key was pressing in, and the key to pressing in is faith. How do I know that? Because Jesus says, Luke 8:48, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you and made you whole. Go in peace. In Mark 5:34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. How do we press in with faith? You know, faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. And faith seems like this elusive in the future word or this unobtainable in the past word. And people are really comfortable with miracles and faith in the past. Like, well, I know someone a long time ago who believed God and he did some miraculous things and everyone goes, ooh. Or we're going to just hope that God will pour his spirit out on the earth and um, he will start to just do a revival here in the future. And everyone says, ooh. But when you say, now faith is. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. It's not when you see that God's working. It's not when you feel better. It's not when you perceive that something's happening. It's when you see nothing, feel nothing, hear nothing, and you say, I believe you, God. And that is what this woman did. Faith is action. See, a lot of people hear and hear and hear about Jesus. And they might even believe that he's the Son of God, but they don't take any action on what they believe. Faith is action. In Mark 5, uh, verse 27, it says, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Hadn't the whole crowd heard about him? You think there was anybody else in that crowd who probably had a need? I mean, I look out at, at the people that are following Jesus and I think, you know, who is Jesus touching? He would like to touch all of us. Who is he really able to change the lives of? It's not the people following him. Look at the throngs of people following Jesus. It's the ones who touch him. 
the ones who act on their beliefs. See, faith is action. Faith is saying, I believe you, God, and therefore, I'm not going to worry. I believe you, God, and therefore, I am going to just wait on you. I believe you, God, and therefore, I'm just going to declare right now, in the midst of my imperfections, in the midst of my youth, in the midst of my stuff, I I want to make a difference in this world. And I'm going to believe you to do that with me in my life. That you're going to direct me and help me. Lift me up out of my mediocrity. Lift me out of following the crowd. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of a purposeless life. If you can do anything with me, great. Because otherwise, I'm going down. God likes those prayers. Those are honest prayers. Jesus says he's coming back for a red-hot church. And I think oftentimes... The worst thing to be is just lukewarm. Well, I don't really like, you know, like Jesus. I don't really dislike him either. I just kind of, you know, whatever. God would rather you absolutely hate or absolutely love than just be like most people are today, which is just absolutely nothing. And really fervently loving God is having that faith in your heart where you're like, action, I will take action. It's not just forgiving somebody. If you need to forgive someone and you have the faith to know that God says to forgive, forgive or you will not be forgiven. Forgive seven times seven. Do not forget forget forgiving. If you love Jesus, forgive. Then you've got to have action behind that. And after that, God says, bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. What about forgiving someone and then having the action to go and bless them? I've done it. It's powerful. It's so strange now. I don't want anyone to hurt me. But I almost get excited like, is there anybody I could bless who's, who's hurt me or cursed me or done anything against me? Because, see, God's doing this power has come back to me every time I've done that. Purposely gone after that person and blessed them. And, if possible, anonymously. Because, see, sometimes we like to look like the good guy, don't we? Or at least if we're going to forgive someone, we have to tell them all the things they did wrong so they'll know how nice we are that we forgave them. Or we forgave them and now we're blessing them because we want them to feel bad, you know, that, oh my gosh, you know, look at what this person's doing even though I hurt them. See, action is just so in your heart, but it's that follow-through of this is really what I believe and this is my action. If I really believe that the Word says kingdom come and I really believe that this is just a temporary place on this earth and I really believe that eternity is with God, am I not going to invest there? Am I not going to say, God, you know really everything I have is yours and you can just take whatever you want and by by the way, I'm going to give you 10%, but I'd really like to give you more. Why would God have to beg us to give, financially even, into his kingdom? Why would we squirm during those sermons? If we really believe, we'll have action. That's why it says in the Word that faith without works is dead. She had action. She got up and she touched him. She'd heard about him and she had action. And then she had something else. And that was the woman who pressed in in faith. With Jesus, not only had actions, she had thoughts and words of faith. In Mark 5.28, it says, Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. 
You know, some people act in faith, but they don't really think God's going to do anything. They really don't. So it's not even enough just to act in faith. We have to be thinking, hey, God, you're working on this. You're working on this. I don't know what you're doing, but you're working on this. Your word says that all things work for good to those that love God or are called according to his purposes in Romans 8:28, And Luke 1:37 says that nothing is impossible with you and you're working on this. And I trust you with this and I'm going to have action. Whatever you show me to do in the word and whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to press through and have action. I'm going to continue to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Even though I don't see my kids following God at all, I'm going to completely believe you and and say, you know what? The Bible says to raise up a child in the way in which they will go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And I believe that you're going to be a, put a hunger for truth in my children. Not only that, I think they're going to lead. They're going to lead for you and Jesus because they have leadership qualities. They're just They're just writing their testimony right now. I'm still writing mine. I don't know about you. Every time I think I've finished the chapter and I'm like, oh, thank God I've been perfected. Then I get to add a new chapter called Really Mad at My Husband or, you know, uh, Saved from Myself. Or I do a conference called I've Got a Really Big Problem in My Life, Me. (laughs) We're all writing our testimony. But living in faith and, and changing from glory to glory and having the dunamis power of God come in and transform us and change every area of our life and heal us, body, soul, and spirit, and mentally and emotionally and relationally and all those places that God wants to make whole means that I have to reach out, I have to press in and touch Jesus with my actions, with my words. And I have to say, God, I think you're doing something. I believe you're doing something. And I have permission even from God, and so do you, to be like the father of the young child who was demon-possessed. I have permission even from God to say, I believe. Please help my unbelief. But see, God likes that. Because he likes someone who's at least out there in their actions and they're trying to touch Jesus. God's dunamis power is needed in my life. How about yours? Just wonder if anybody is relating to this woman. If there's any area of your life where you feel like this has been a long time, God. I'm disappointed. I've spent all that I had. If there's any area of your life or someone's life that you know, any place of weariness, any place where you're just about to give up on you, give up on you. It's a very freeing place to be, actually. And say, God, I've got to touch you. you. I need your power in my life. I've got to have it or I'm going to die. And yet if I have really the dunamis power of God in my life, not only will I live, I'll live abundantly. I'll really live, not just exist. Really live. I think the saddest life would be a life lived long on this earth where someone just really just existed. Even if they existed for 95 years, I'd rather live for 30. I'd rather really live. Actually, I'd really, really, really rather really live for like 90 
or maybe 120. Whatever God wants. All I know is that we have that choice. And all I know is that I believe that God does still today say to his angels, Whoa, one of them touched me. How do you know? God says one of the angels, because power just went out of me and their lives were just changed. Because the miracle was just performed in their body or their marriage or their finances or their mental state of being. Because, see, they pressed on with the crowd for years. But for the first time, through their faith and actions and words, they touched me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word to press in instead of just pressing on. Father, I know that there's people here hearing this message who are perseverers. And you want us to be strong. You want us to persevere. You want us to not give up, but you want us to stop just pressing on with the crowd to follow you and see what you would do. You want us to get down lower like the woman and and reach out to press in and touch you with a faith in action, with a faith in our hearts and minds that say, if I just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. Father, I thank you that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, that conviction of things not seen. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would increase our faith as we reach out to touch you, that you would let us know that it is not by what we feel or sense or hear. We're so touchy-feely, and that is not faith. Faith is just believing God. God, I pray that each one of us would touch you. And I pray right now for your dunamis power to come out of heaven and into us as your word promises it. Your word promises it. And so I stand on your word in action in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit would so fill this place, so fill our bodies, so fill our minds. Whatever has been plaguing us, whatever has been distracting us, whatever... Even if it's been years that we can say, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. We can let go of our disappointment from physicians. We can let go of our disappointment from people. We can let go of our disappointment from ourselves. And we can say, God, really, all I need is a touch from you, and I'm getting it right now. Father, I thank you that you tell us that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. So even as I close the chapter on this message, I'm trusting you to continue your good work in the chapters of our lives. Every day, in every way, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed Kathleen's message. To order a copy of this and other messages, please call us in San Antonio, Texas at 210-822-5500 or toll free outside the San Antonio area, 877-397-7773. That's 1-877-397-7773. Visit our website, KathleenWitten.org, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-W-H-I-T-T-E-N.org. 
Thank you.